everyone. This is Pal, and I'm here with Mo, and you are tuning into our next episode on our Deccan series, which is on Aries. But before we jump into the Deccans, Mo and I wanted to talk about the current astro weather right now. We ju are just coming out of the Aries ingress and officially starting this new cycle. And uh, before we started recording, we were just talking about how um, kind of rough it feels right now do you want to say something about that mo oh my goodness it's been so rough i think i underestimated the fact that mars is conjunct the north node right now and that mars is answering to a very unhappy pisces mercury and i think the square perfects today so like all the verbal tension is really starting to kick off Ugh. Yeah, I also underestimated this transit. I was really looking forward to Mars and Gemini because we we had over like seven, eight months of that Saturn-Mars square, and I was just so excited to finally be done <laughs> with that square. And then, I, yeah, I kind of just overlooked the nodes. Um, really, yeah, the fact that that Mars is ruled by this Mercury and Pisces has been rougher than I thought it would be. Um, I, I was listening to another astrologer's podcast, I was listening to Chutababa's talk on this transit, and uh -huh. he brought up some, like, really good points about how, <laughs> um, there could be also be some just, like, very literal things about, like, Mars, like, the actions you want to take, um, getting kind of, um, delayed or blocked by water related things <laughs> and so for example yeah. my phone took a nosedive off of like a like I was trying I was moving and I left my phone on top of a moving truck and this thing fell off the truck to, after two miles of driving actually it didn't fall off right away and then I obviously didn't realize I had left it up there and then as soon as I realized that my phone was gone and I knew exactly where it had dropped it started just like flooding like rain like it was just torrential downpour <laughs> and luckily I did get my phone that the craziest thing is I found my phone and it still works like completely and fully after like <laughs> spending over 13 hours with just like be getting rained on and sitting in a puddle but oh no <laughs> so I haven't had like water things but I know people associate the water signs with like emotions and I've had a lot of issues trying to okay so it's not that I don't have energy to do things I think the problem is I have too much energy to do things but it's coming out in a very non-productive way and there was a day uh, I think it was like literally sun Saturday or Sunday one of those days but I could not sleep I um I took the time to like pen a difficult letter to my partner because we've been having issues because He's very emotionally volatile right now. He's all over the place. I'm all over the place. We're both having trouble just like keeping routines and it's just driving us crazy. Um, on top of that, like I'm just picking apart all my connections with people and it's just people really underestimate the connection that um, the North Node or Rahu has with confusion and illusions. Like that's a huge thing. And I think you know, with the day I wrote that letter, or at least around the time I wrote that letter, Mars just moved into its own decan in Gemini. 
And if you know anything about that Deccan and the associated tarot card, it's all about like, you're just up at night, you can't sleep, you're anxious, you're confused, you're like, thinking up all these things that could go wrong. Like, it was so literal for me that day. Like, it was too much. I just pulled that card like a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's everywhere. And- and then I, for two days in a row now, including today, I've pulled the Emperor, and just, which really, really tracks for Aries season. <laughs> and so I, I, I yeah, the, the stuff you're just saying on just like the association of the North Node with confusion just like really, really tracks with me right now. And mm-hmm. I had to really sit with the Emperor card just thinking of just like, well, clearly, like I'm, I am really craving some of that order. And even like you said, like some of that routine and that structure again after, after just having a really rough two weeks. But um, I, I feel like, I think my challenge and it's, again, I think the current astro weather is not going to help with this. Cause again, like, it's just like so much energy is I, I do feel like I just need to sit still and just like, rather than scrambling to really try to make sure everything's like in order and like regaining that. I, I really think I just have to sit down and just do nothing. Yeah, no, I'm definitely feeling that. I mean, even in my grad school life, it's just, okay, like there are a bunch of, what was great was that it's like, okay, things have been stalled, but there's so many possibilities or possible directions to go in. But when I actually sit down and try to think of, okay, how can these things branch off into something? It, it, it's just, there are too many directions that things go in. And I think something about the middle decade of Gemini, it's just trying to hold space for two things specifically, because if we see the movement through the Gemini Deccans, like we'll talk about this in like, what, June or something. Um, It's all about narrowing down possibilities. And I describe Gemini as a sign as the curse of knowing. So (laughs) when you know too much, it, it, and you don't know how to, I guess, sit sit with it and parse it down into smaller parts it just gets really overwhelming um i had something else i wanted to say oh because i also drew cards for myself for this aries ingress season for myself and two of the cards that came up were actually the i think the solution was the four of wands which is really funny because that's my um that's my venus deccan <laughs> And the outcome card was actually the three of um, the three of wands, which is interesting. And so a lot of that to me was screaming, okay, like with the oracles and other cards that were showing up, it's like, you got to wait. You can't, you know, force things. You can't rush things like you have to take it slow. But out of this will come some important milestones and like you'll be able to like have a more comfortable sense of being in control just not right now and that really upset me (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yes I hate to hear it but I know I need to hear it so I feel that yeah (laughs) Uh, which is ironic because this is just like the one announcement for me I am opening my Zoom consults in April. I only have like uh, 20-ish spots and like two of them are filled up already. So get me before craziness happens because 
Ugh, life is all over the place right now. <clears throat> Get me soon. Forget me never. <laughs> That's exciting. I still have not opened my readings back up, but I was already so backlogged on readings. Like I decided to close my readings in January, but I already had readings booked through this month. So this is going to be actually my last week of like doing readings. And my hope is to at least take April, like fully just completely off, like not doing any readings <clears throat> like at all. And then from there I can assess when I want to reopen them. So I, yes, I have been getting inquiries, but um, yeah, for those listening, my readings are still close. Yes. No, I'm going to book with you as soon as you're open again. <laughs> so, oh yeah, God, it's that time of year again already, almost. Yeah, solar return. Solar return time. Oh boy. Yeah, we can get into the Aries decades now. Actually. Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's start. Um, first by talking about the Aries archetype. Right. Oh, Aries. Um. Okay. So. I don't know. I feel like some of the stereotypes is Aries being the baby of the Zodiac. Like, while I get it, I feel like some of it's overblown. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I mean, because if you think about it, like, okay, just thinking about it in terms of, like, the planets that are dignified there, the Sun and Mars... And if you think of, like, the general years of the planets, Mars and the Sun do not represent youth at all. If anything, the Sun represents you, I think, like, in your 30s and 40s? Like, in your prime. You're in your prime, right? And then Mars is, like, the cri like you know, your midlife crisis. So, it, it, it's just weird to me. Like, I get it because, you know with um Aries like tropical Aries being associated with spring which is a time of rebirth and all of that I, I don't know I just never got the whole like Aries as baby vibe yeah it's it's I would say out if they're out of all the 12 signs it's Aries and Cancer that get called baby the most and I think it's funny that they're both these cardinal signs in fire and water respectively and I think I think if anything, I think it's more of a reflection of the fact that we have a society that does look down on um, on emotional reactivity, which I think you can yes. get from both signs in very, very different ways. And it's something that we can tend to laugh about with Aries. But um, with me, you know, it is also something I really like admire and envy about Aries as well as just the ability to just unabashedly react um, especially with some of these more like fire type emotions like anger sometimes but yeah but it calls me dispassion and um and just being a little you know kind of you know sometimes un unapologetic about it it's funny that you mentioned that because um in the egyptian form of astrology uh cancer was actually astrological new year mm -hmm. um so when the sun used to ingress into cancer um that was also the period um where I think Sirius was Heliacal Rising Star, and that was also the period when the flooding of the Nile would begin. And so that for them was big for their agricultural cycles and seasons. So that to them was Astro New Year. This was thousands of years ago. 
but for I think some of the um, usage of Aries season as the start of the new year is rooted in the um, Perso-Arabic tradition of astrology because I know that the Persians celebrate something called Hormuz. Please correct me if I'm saying it wrong and it's like it's basically like New Year, which makes sense because this is a time where things are starting to bloom again, like the light starts to increase after the equinox. And so it's just this important period of like things being, I guess, reborn. And I really like the juxtaposition of Cancer as, you know, birth versus Aries's birth because Something about the fire and water elements are more volatile or have the potential for volatility compared to earth and air. And so when I think of Aries, I think of, okay, you're overcoming this energetic hurdle. Like that's true for cardinal science, but more so for Aries because it's Mars ruled. It's where the sun is exalted. It's like... <clears throat> You know, Mars is like the match that ignites and then the exalted sun is like the flame that creates or gives light. So I think it's very, very symbolic. Hmm. I think the, I think the one way I could see Aries as birth being more of a fit is when I try to like step away from some of the harvest and like, um, um, significations or like, when I think about, you know, the birth of most mammals, right, like, <laughs> including us as humans, like, that is not in any way, like, a peaceful, like, smooth no. event. It's very, very, <laughs> like, I could totally see the Mars and just airy significations of just, like, what even the process of birth could be like. And so um, that's something I've just been thinking about as this Aries season Oh begins. my god, no, that's so true because it's like, you're so like for most organisms, but especially like mammals, at least in my understanding of their, like regardless of whether, you know, you come out knowing how to walk or not, like you're leaving a fluid environment where everything is provided for you and you're literally being shoved out through a tight canal and you're forced to breathe in air for the first time. So there's this like, I feel like I like the, the one thing I will say that I like about the, the 12 letter alphabet, as we will call it, mm -hmm. um, and the whole cycle of birth versus um, death, which I think is interesting, is that like when you're coming back to the rebirth piece, you're leaving that fluid environment, which is safe and protective and you're coming out into something dry. And then for mammals, like, because <clears throat> mammals generate their own heat, you have to start, you know, forging your own metabolism and doing all this stuff to sustain you and to keep you warm because you're not in that safe fluid environment that was providing everything. Mm. And of course, you know, when you come out, you're like coming out screaming and crying because of that sharp intake of air, like, which is, which is a good sign because it's like, you're alive. Because when you don't, that's a problem. So like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that's really, I guess, taken for granted with Aries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I actually think this is a great segue to the first decan of Aries, but is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we jump no, into that? No, this is perfect. This is perfect. Yes, because I think it's a good segue because this first decan of Aries is um, is a double Mars decan. So regardless of which um, decan system you use, it's Mars ruled. Um, Austin Kopic in his decans series refers to this decan as the axe and when as you're describing the birth process and just like <laughs> really like just this fetus just like really forcing its way you know through just like whether you you know like right it's just um yeah it, it makes me think a lot of this decan right it's just kind of just like really raw energy and strength and really getting from point a to point b as directly mm-hmm. as possible even if it means knocking down walls or along the way yeah, no, for sure. And I think that um, that came across for me when I was reading uh, 36 Secrets by T. Susan Chang. Everybody needs to own this book. It's like a Deccan's Bible, please. Um, it also emphasizes birth as like a violent event. And what I really love is how she talks about the fact that the Zodiac ends with a Mars Deccan and begins with a Mars Deccan, you know? Um, so it's something about the, um, I guess like the decay, like, I guess Mars, the end of, um, Pisces is like the decay process. It's like things are reaching their natural conclusion. And in that transition to the beginning of Aries, it's almost as if, um, there's this, like, there's this intensity or like, I kind of want to bring uh, thermodynamics into this. It's like, you know, water's more cool. It's um, it's wet. And so you can think of condensation just like coming together at the end of something when it's losing energy. But it's like coming together in such a way where um, if you just add a little heat or something, all of those particles can like disperse and move out. Um, as you would get in airy season, or you would see this like barrier forming almost. And then something about airy season or the archetype just is like, okay, I'm going to smash through this now. It's time to do something different. Uh, yeah. It's funny you think about thermodynamics because Mo is such a scientist because I th- thought I think of Harry Potter because I just rewatched <laughs> the series. <laughs> and I think about how Dumbledore has this phoenix. <laughs> And when Harry first sees this oh thing, God. right, it's like at the end of its cycle, it's fucking dying. And it, this is the saddest looking bird. And then suddenly it just like combusts. Um, <laughs> but even once it starts like emerging out of the ashes, it's also just kind of like just really sad to watch because now it's just this like helpless, like little Phoenix chick. And I don't know why that made me think of the the fact that these no. um yeah Aries one and Pisces three are Mars Mars like Deccan ruled because yeah death is kind of ugly and then birth can be kind of ugly too and I think there's a lot of ways that both of those things can get romanticized but at the same time we also have to just kind of face the realities that they're also not so fun things they're really not um, and then with like the Pisces three Deccan like because I talked a lot about illusions it's almost like something about Aries is like shattering that wall it's like okay we had the illusion of the happy ending but like you know things end after that right 
and then new new arcs like emerge from that so to speak that that's how i see it yes so the two of wands is associated with this decan um speaking of just kind of like i guess new beginnings or thinking about you know next steps and stuff i mean that's what i think of when i think of this card but i don't know if you have more to add to that no i like it's interesting because like the two of wands like that was one of the cards i used to struggle with a bit especially hmm. in the in the thoth deck because it's called the lord of dominion and it's just like well you know, when you learn tarot from some sources, it's just like, oh, twos are choices and like you're indecisive. And it's just like, I would say that out of all the twos, the uh, two of wands is the most decisive. It's more like, okay, um, there's only one of two options and it doesn't matter how you justify it or slice it. You just need to act. Like, you're not going to be... Some in one of the decks that I have, it emphasizes like choosing between two equal outcomes. Like mm-hmm. you, like there's no need to um, overanalyze. Like say with the two of swords, or um, you know being at the mercy of fluctuating resources. Like within the two of um, pentacles, but it's just like okay, you you have the resources. You know what the like. It's either do or die, and just do it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I, I, I think this Deccan's unarguably decisive. It's about it's a very action oriented Deccan. It's a double Mars Deccan, so yeah, I, I, um, I, I just think a lot too about just the fact that Austin calls this one the axe because it really is just like it's not subtle. It's very much it's like, a, this is what I'm going to do, and I'm doing it. Yeah, um, and I really like how Austin describes, like, because people just think of axes as just, like, cutting, like, without purpose sometimes, especially because as I'll read some of the imagery, it kind of looks violent. But, you know... Like, the thing is, like, in order to get something useful, I'm thinking about um, even some of the, like, biblical imagery of, like, creation or, like, the creation myths and how, like, God was creating two of everything, right? And there's something important about division that is useful for, like, populating. Because it's like, okay, I'm cutting things into parts so that they can cut things into more parts and then cut things into more parts and eventually, you know, build the foundation of something, even though it doesn't look like that. I mean, I, wow, I'm even thinking of mitosis, like, you know, cell division. <laughs> That's you what know? I was like, thinking oh, as you were talking about that. God, which is, like... <laughs> which goes, it goes back to the birth stuff, too. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's like... And then the thing is, even though the cells, like, divide, they're not always exactly identical. Like, they can be mostly identical, but based on which parts one cell got versus another, like, they're going to go off and do their own things and serve their role in, like, keeping bodies alive. So, yeah. It's like carving your own path, basically. Yeah. 
yeah, I really do think that's this second is what it's all about that. Um, I don't know if you have anything. Oh, you, you wanted to talk about the imagery, right? Associated with this second. Yeah. So, uh, Ibn Ezra describes this as a head in the form of a dog with a candle in its left hand and a key in its right hand. Bambaka, I don't know what that is, says it's a boar. His eyes are black, his eyebrows are straight, and he is of the giant's race. He's self-laudatory and is wrapped in a large white cloak with a rope girdle on it. He is irascible and stands on his feet. The Picatrix says the form of a black man, restless and great in body, having red eyes, and holding a cutting axe in his hand, girded about with white garment, and there is great worth in his face. And this is a face of strength high rank and wealth without difference. And then Agrippa says, this is a black man standing clothed in a white garment, girdled about of a great body, reddish eyes and great strength, like one that is angry. And this image signifieth and causeth boldness, fortitude, loftiness and shamelessness. Um, yeah, that's pretty loud to me. And then the Yavana Janaka says that it's a man garbed in red with a red complexion. He's fierce. His limbs and hands are wounded and he attacks in anger. He bears golden mail and bright arrows and his hand is upraised with an axe. It's like, okay, this person is ready to do battle. Like, they are focused on, you know, clawing whatever gets in their way. Like, they're really intense and they... Like, there's no hesitation described on the part of these individuals. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, I will say that the consistency, for the most part, about, like, the, I guess, the white clothing, because, like, white usually has connotations of purity. It's like, this person is doing... I don't get, like, necessarily um, impressions of, like, malice it's like mm. pure directed action mm-hmm. yeah um, like this person's like acting on their truth and yeah 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 um yeah so do you have any examples you want to share like i have quite a few but i do have I quite a few I did, <laughs> I did try to look at people who had sun as well as like because this is a double mars second i was also very curious to see who had Mars in this Deccan. And so I'll start with that one, the example that I have. So I, um, I found out that Russell Wilson, the quarterback has his Mars and Aries, but here's the funny thing is, so I was like both not surprised, but like a little bit surprised. Cause I was like, you know, like for someone who's like an athlete and a quarterback, I mean, compared, especially just comparatively speaking to all the different kinds of like just loud, you know, brash personalities you see in the football world. Like he's, he's actually a pretty like mellow guy, I think. And, And he, um, yeah, he's like a, he's a he's a pretty like he's like a, he's a pretty successful quarterback. But a lot of what he's also known for is that he's dating Sierra. That he wanted to wait until marriage to you know um, to yeah to start having sex with her and stuff. And um, because he's very very Christian and just his demeanor comes off as just really like huh like I'm surprised he has that <clears throat> Mars and Aries. And then I and then I had this thought of like you know. He reminds me of my ex-husband who I was with for 10 years. Sure enough, they were only born a day apart. They oh both, my god. Yeah. 
both him and my ex have the same Mars and Aries that's in the first decade. And what I think makes really makes a difference is that people who are born in like late 89, like 1989, like that have to also that Saturn and Capricorn squaring <laughs> all of that. Wow. And so, um, but all of that's to say, like, I, I think Russell Wilson's a great example of this, but it's also a good example to keep in mind. You have to look at the entire chart to like really fully understand this. Like, yeah, R Russell Wilson's a quarterback. He he's an athlete, and so that's very very margin. His Mars and Aries is in his third house, I believe. Hold on, let me double check this. Yes, I think it's a, it's it's in his third house, ruling his tenth house, and so not a shocker that he's made a career for himself um, wow. as an athlete. Wow. No, I think Prince also has his, um, he has his Mars in uh, Aries. I can't remember if it's in, yeah, it is in the first decade. He's one of my examples. Um, and what people don't know about him is that he was actually an athlete <laughs> before he was doing music and um, like when he was younger and he did continue playing like all sorts of different sports um even into his young adulthood before he started doing music and a lot of people know prince for his insane work ethic like he's just so focused like even when he was like an athlete like training and even when he was like learning music and like learning how to play different instruments i think that's actually what got certain people in his life thinking about that for him because he was so talented and he was so focused on trying to, you know, pick up new skills, especially because that's a Mars in joy because he's Scorpio rising. So it rules wow. his ascendant as well. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Right? Yeah. Oh my God. What is like, I, I, I've been I'm, on my other podcast, I've been doing a lot of celebrity charts too and finding out that like all of these celebrities also, you know, who are famous for like one thing, actually also have a huge other talent for like another uh -huh. thing. Like SZA was like one of the top gymnasts um, in high school in the entire United wow. States. Yeah. Like what? Like, <laughs> how do you get all this talent and skill in one person? That's not fair. <laughs> It's wild. But anyway, back um, to Harry. Let me think. So, like, what's funny is that, like, Courtney Kardashian also has her Mars, but she has a Mars-Mercury conjunction in her second house in this decade. And, again, if anybody's watched the show, I think it's really interesting how she's always in conflict with her family <laughs> about, you know, how she wants to use her time and her energy and her resources like yes she's benefited from the show but I think it's really interesting how in recent years she actually has launched her own personal lifestyle brand um, especially when she was you know complaining about not wanting to be on the show like that and wanting to focus on other things uh, and I think I, I just thought of like thinking of that made me think of that one episode or that one clip that where Kim was cussing her out about, oh, you don't know what it takes to run a business and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really ironic that now she has this um, lifestyle brand that's actually really popular. Wow. Yeah, Even Courtney. She was um, dragged. <laughs> I was going to bring up Courtney Kardashian too. And she, I, I, she might come up in other parts as we talk about the other decades too, because yeah. she also has other placements in Aries. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of other examples, I thought an interesting example. So I did look at like a for all three Deccans, like people who have sun in Aries and you know, the sun's exalted in Aries and we'll talk more about the sun's exaltation in Aries when we talk about Aries Deccan two. But mm-hmm. I, I thought one interesting example of someone who has sun in Aries in this first Deccan is Fergie. Fergie Ooh. has both her sun and Jupiter in this Deccan in her 10th house. Oh. And her MC, her midheaven, is in the second Deccan. And I I think she's a great example of someone who's really, like, forged her, like, own path. She obviously started, which actually started as a child. Like she was in a, some child band I'd never heard of. But she started on Black Eyed Peas. But she didn't really get big until she, like, made her solo career. And... I think it's just like there's just little things like for example like you know her moniker she she was the Duchess and that was the name of one of her albums but she spelled it (gasps) incorrectly on purpose and that was just like her thing so oh my god okay you know what so I have another example so Diana Ross Mm. she has her son and Aries one exalted in the sixth house um and she was first known for her role in the Supremes um and quickly evolved into a talented singer, diva, and all-around icon. And what was interesting is that when she, when her group got first got signed onto Motown, um, she quickly replaced like one of the in-house acts to become like the lead singer. And the managers actually wanted her to have a solo career earlier, but um, because the group was still so successful under a certain stream of management at Motown, they prolonged her um, stay with the group, even though they were basically molding her to be the solo act. And she actually got bigger in her career um, when she went solo. And then coming off of her solo time at Motown, I think in the 80s, she actually um, toured, I think, Europe and abroad almost exclusively. And she had her own, um, like, production company for a while and she did that for about a decade and so i thought that was pretty cool that's a really good example uh i have another son in the so this one is andrew lloyd weber so anybody who's like a musical fan knows him because he wrote a lot of the music for things like you know the phantom of the opera um evita um cats a bunch of other shit and he's a well-known composer for musical theater and i mean he comes from like a long line of um people who are into music like his dad was a composer his mom was a violinist his brother is like a famous soloist and i think it's funny because his son rules his leo rising in the ninth whole sign house so it's rejoicing but what's interesting is that he was actually studying history first and he went to some prestigious school got like a prestigious award to study history um and like he went on to do this for a while like when he was an undergrad at some like satellite college of oxford but then he was like fuck this i want to do music he went off and did his own thing it's like it's either this or music and it's like the natural thing was music (laughs) right wow Yeah. yeah That's a great example. I don't know if you've ever seen any Andrew Lloyd Webber shows, but I saw Phantom of the Opera live um, almost like two years ago now. And 
It is. <laughs> I mean, it does. It's very, very margin for sure. Like, just like the drama and the music too, for sure. Like, I I remember the opening scene. Like, it's um, it's very rare that I'll react like this to like a performance, but I mm-hmm. like felt chills like watching even just like the opening wow. scene. I was like, holy shit, this is gonna be good. <laughs> yeah. But it's very not, but you know, it was beautiful. Definitely not in like kind of that Venusian way that we can often like see in things like plays and musicals. But um, yeah, it was just very dramatic. Yeah, very Mars, that show. It was good. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, Wait, I have King Louis the. This is 17. With his son conjunct Mercury in the seventh house, wasn't he the one married to um, Marie Antoinette? That's the sixteenth. If um, if you're looking at seventeenth, that might be um, his son. They're their son. Oh, their son. Okay, but I think yeah. it's interesting that he has that um, in the seventh house conjunct Mercury, who is also, I don't know. That that was pretty loud to me. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, um, I have other examples for Aries 1, but they're not Sun. Yeah, go ahead. I um, think I'm, I'm so, good with my examples. So one example I have is um, Alexandra, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as most people know her. She has her moon in Aries 1, ruling the 8th house um, from the 5th, where mm. her IC is. Um, and it's funny because she... I think she was actually, she might have been in her second, I mean, her eighth house perfection year, which would have activated the moon. So when she was in her second year of college, her father died of lung cancer, and she had to um, battle to settle his estate. And I feel like that's very loud for um, having the ruler of the eighth in this decan kind of tied in with like family things. And so this kind of helped inspire her experience around, um, you know, navigating the bu- the bureaucracy of government, especially mm-hmm. when it affects like how um, that which is owed to you um, gets given to you or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember looking at her chart and just seeing like a lot of it. Yeah, it really does just like scream like actually thriving off of that kind of bureaucracy and structure but but it's also different than just being a bureaucrat with like AOC like it definitely comes from like a deeper place like a, like yeah. a passionate place yeah and then anybody who knows her like she's always trying to like break down the whole bureaucratic process of being in government like that's her whole thing with social media like if anybody follows her on social media you'll see that very quickly that's a really good point. Like, I think, um, you know, when the um, the latest stimulus package finally got signed by Biden, she did like a whole series of social media posts just explaining what exactly is in this, like trying to highlight some of like the other benefits that aren't, weren't as talked about in the media, which I thought was like really cool to do mm-hmm. because they're even, even for me as someone, I, I, I was following this bill really, really closely because of my job. And even for mm-hmm me I was just like oh my god this is a lot and um, (laughs) 
like for one like i don't know how many people know about like the fact that if you had collected unemployment last year this bill will like make it so that you don't have to pay taxes on it which i think it's already mm-hmm. fucked up to begin with that we require people on employment to pay taxes still like yeah when they're clearly down and out <laughs> right yeah so god but yeah that's a um yeah you actually are like i mean she yeah you said her aries moons in this decade you reminded me that both of my sisters have this moon <laughs> in this oh decade which um it's very very loud for both of my sisters and it was um a challenge as someone with a taurus moon to have two aries moon sisters Oh, you know, like my, that makes me think of my own sister. So my sister's Capricorn rising. She's ruled by her Saturn and Capricorn in this decade. And I don't know, I feel like compared to me when it came to like figuring out what I want to do, um, I didn't have as much difficulty, but like for her, she has this weird investment in like what my parents think about what she should be doing or how she should be, but also Mm. wanting to carve out her own path. It's like, I'm invested in your opinion and I care about you, but I also want to do things my own way, especially, you know, having a fallen Saturn um, ruling that. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, I don't have any other chart examples. Do you have any more? Uh, I have other ones, but I didn't take like good notes on them. So I think we can move on. Okay. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. So let's talk about Aries 2. Um, this second is also, it's very interesting. The second is also ruled by one planet, regardless of which system you use, it's the sun. And Austin calls this decan the net. And also, you know, in his workshop, he also points out that the sun's exaltation degree is also in this decan. So I for sure made sure I looked for like examples of people who have their sun in this decade um but yes um it's it's very much i mean to me this decade is you know it's very much still aries right it's still like okay like direct action like getting from like point a to point b but because it's like so sun ruled rather than like the previous decade that was just very very dynamic and mars ruled this is now like okay um like i've, I've gotten to this point like i um i built or like i created this thing now it's time to continue to see it forward continue to serious ship like be and be a leader in whatever <clears throat> this space is that like you like i created for myself yeah um i i really like this decan because like um on top of it being a double sun decan uh the sun's degree of exaltation actually lies here at about 19 aries so yeah I, I wish I had, I didn't have enough time because I did really want to look and see if there were chart examples of people who had their son at that exaltation degree. I don't know if you were able to um, find. I didn't find anybody like exactly, but I found someone who has their son near the exaltation degree. Um, okay. okay. But before we get into that, I do want to like just read the other imagery yeah. associated with this decade. And a lot of it's very like regal. And luxurious. So Ibn Ezra says the figure of a woman draped in clothes and a mantle, and she has one leg and the form of horse. The Picatrix says a woman dressed in green clothes and lacking in one leg, and this is a face of high rank, nobility, worth, and kingship. Agrippa says this is a woman outwardly clothed with a red garment, and under it a white spreading abroad over her feet. <coughs> Sorry. And this image causeth nobleness 
height of a kingdom, great and greatness of dominion. Uh, before I get into the 36 secret description of this, I kind of see the imagery of um, someone who has like one leg or something like that. And it's almost suggestive to me of, I did battle for, to get here, but they're also like wearing like the, I guess the spoils of war almost. It's like, I cleared space for myself. I fought for this and now here I am. Like, look at me, here I am, right? Um, I really like the 36 secrets description because it's, she calls this the kingdom of gold. But what I really like about this is something that a lot of people do not talk about enough when it comes to very solar people. Yeah, the sun projects light and has this intense gravitational pull to keep things, you know, in order and moving at a certain rate, you know, against their natural inertia, so to speak. The sun is also providing warmth to other people. And there's almost this um, element of taking care of other people. And so something that doesn't get stressed enough is that this is a decade where you're not only in authority, but you're leading by example and you are helping other people in good faith so that they will be inclined to, I guess, support your, what you're doing. They support you. And if anybody thinks of the sun in terms of its traditional significations as the monarch or the ruler or the authority, authority is only as good as the people who back it, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't have, if you're not projecting something that people can believe in or want to flock to, they're not going to want to represent your kingdom very well or represent you very well yeah and so this, yeah oh sorry yeah I, I i do yeah this Deccan is very much like a sovereign like a leader like i'm not surprised that there's just like a lot of just royal imagery that you just described but i think it's also just important to note that it's it's the it's like leadership by example right it's like leadership that's earned it's not leadership that's inherited or taken unjustly mm -hmm. it really is like an earned and um, leadership and that's what draws like that respect and fellowship as you said i i think it's so interesting that the images you just shared were all women in the same way that the aries one deccan was all men and it even just makes me think of just tarot card depictions if you actually if, if you look at the at least at the writer weight um artwork for the um tarot cards and i just think about how just so many of the cards that have women especially like the queen cards or the empress like are supposed to denote like a kind of like stillness but not because of you know passivity or anything it's actually because uh -huh. you gain your power from just like your self-awareness and your truth and just like being able to like just have that trust in yourself and knowing that you just have to be um and i think with this deck and it is about it has i can i think can just kind of be like that confidence in yourself oh yeah for sure um let me let me see. I have another sun example. Most of my example are examples are actually not I, the sun. Yes, I <laughs> only found sun examples, but I actually did find a couple of really good ones for people who have their okay, exaltation degree there on top of you know obviously being in this decan. So um the first person I found was Linda Goodman has her son in Aries in the first house at that 19 degree 
um, wow. like this exaltation. So it's so you know for those who don't know, Linda Goodman's a famous astrologer. The thing she's most famous for is writing the book Sun Signs, which a lot of people credit to the popularization of sun sign astrology and horoscopes. And um, I know a lot of us like <laughs> a lot of astrologers like kind of bemoan that now and say says oh it's oversimplified like astrology is more than just the sun but at the same time like I, I think it's like really huge that you know in some ways should be credited for popularizing astrology and you know for better or worse um but definitely definitely like making it more known and more mainstream yeah um so my example of someone who has their son uh near the exaltation degree is Mackenzie Scott, um, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. She wow. has her son at 17. She actually has both her luminaries close to their exaltation degrees. Um, so that's really interesting. But what's interesting about her is that she is someone who's been an avid writer, she proclaimed since she was very young. Um, and she said when she was really young, she wrote this like really long book that got destroyed or something, but She's just basically been interested in creative writing ever since she was little. And what's interesting is that she actually, when she was in um, university, she studied under um, Toni Morrison in creative yeah. writing. And she actually helped Toni Morrison do research for one of her important books. And um, after she went to college, she worked at... Um, I guess a hedge fund and that's where she met Jeff Bezos and they got married really quickly after knowing each other and she basically helped him build Amazon. She was one of the first employees, um, put a lot into it and this is where I like with her story I kind of see the whole getting the return on your investment kind of thing. It's like I put everything into this man I've married to his business, I had his kids and now that it's doing well I can step back and focus on what matters to me, which to her was raising her kids, but also working on her creative projects and writing because that's her true passion at the end of the day. And I think it's interesting that she is someone who is really taking this whole giving pledge seriously. And even after she's divorced Bezos, um, she is really committed to, I guess, giving her wealth away. And I guess she's really embodying that living by example thing especially because the fifth house can rule gifts and the ruler of the fifth house is exalted in the first. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the other example I have is Hugh Hefner and he also has his son <laughs> at that 19 degrees exaltation degree. Um, and uh, that one's, I mean, that one's pretty straightforward. Like his playboy has been literally called his empire by both himself as well as just the media and other people who really talked about it like he really kind of built um he he, he had worked in he was working in publishing before he actually was working for esquire and he quit because they denied him a five dollar raise which i'm sure was a lot of money at the time and then that's what started him like deciding that he was going to start creating like and he was going to create this new magazine um which evolved into much more than a magazine like it really did turn into like playboy enterprises which you know includes to this day like so much more um than just a magazine and i mean he had a literal mansion i called the playboy mansion so um yeah i i thought that was an interesting example 
Um, so I have another example of somebody who has their son in this deck and not of the exaltation degree, um, Al Gore. Um, and he, so it's funny because kind of like the Andrew Lloyd Webber example where it's like, okay, I have the ruler of my um, first house. I think he also has, okay, so he and uh, Lloyd Webber have the whole Pluto, Saturn, Mars in the Leo first house in common. Um, and I think this is interesting because Mars rules the fourth house and it's disposited by this exalted sun. So um, Al Gore, obviously the son of a politician himself. Um, what was interesting is that he, so his dad was actually very against the Vietnam War, right? And what was interesting is that during this period of his life, Al Gore had a lot of like internal conflicts and he decided he, cause he wanted to serve his country and like live by example. That's literally this guy's whole life. Mm -hmm. I want to be a good example and be of service to people. Um, and he thought at the time that going to war would be a good idea because he's like, okay, this is just what people where I'm from do. And it just seems like a good idea because, you know, I want to show that I'm loyal to my country. Um, but then um, between his dad losing re-election uh, because of his anti-war sentiment, but also like realizing that the war was actually a bad idea, he had this whole faith crisis he went through. And so <laughs> before he, um, when he came back, he decided that he wanted to pursue journalism, but also like really rethink his um religious beliefs because he was also someone who's very religious i was like how can i see all this injustice and believe what i do um and what was interesting is that during this time he was also like a journalist and wanting to know more about what was going on and um shine a light on it especially when it came to how people were acting i guess in shady ways um and then like he finally did decide to go to law school but never like um finished hmm. and so he ended up running for congress because he knew his dad was going to lose his seat so he's like you know what i want to do something that's important i want to you know lead by example and it's just like he kind of like replaced his father in a way if hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah like and like was just, I guess, better fit for the role somehow. And then I guess something else that I see with him is how he's used his political clout to bring attention to climate change, even before it was like really popular. Wow. I don't know. That's yeah. a really good example. I I have one more. And it's also someone who doesn't have, um, he has a son in this decade, not, not an exaltation degree, but it's El Chapo. Has <laughs> yeah and it's in his fourth house and so el chapo is a drug lord he's considered perhaps like the wealthiest drug lord he um he was um running or possibly continues to run the sinaloa cartel along the u.s mexico oh. border and he you know it is estimated that he might be possibly the wealthiest drug lord now maybe even like matching or exceeding pablo escobar but the mm -hmm. reason, so keep in mind, yeah. so his son's in the fourth house and the way he was able to build his drug empire was through mostly through like long range underground tunnels 
underneath the U.S.-Mexico border. So in the fourth house, you know, can, yeah, it's home and family, but could also really, like, literally signify the land and, like, underground because it is the lowest house in the chart. So I, oh he, God. yeah, I thought that was really funny. Oh, my God, especially uh, with the sun ruling. Is it in the whole sign fourth? Or is yes, it? Yes, the whole sign fourth. Okay, because, like, especially with, um, uh, you know, the sun ruling the eighth house, <laughs> like secretly yep. managing like other people's money, you know, being responsible for the disappearances of, oh my God, it's too symbolic. Yeah. His uh, chart, his chart ruler is Saturn in his 12th house, like this, yeah, very, very just underground. Oh like, yes. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more examples. They're yep. not, um, they're not, um, they're not the sun. So, uh, Justin Trudeau, we're back again. Um, he <laughs> has the, he has the moon ruling his eleventh house here, actually his eighth, and it's opposite Uranus. And I don't know what perfection he was in at the time. I can't remember off the top of my head. Wait, let me do some quick math. Uh, how old was this man in twenty fifteen? It's twenty. He just turned forty nine at the end of twenty twenty. So he would have been five years younger. Yeah, but the Canadian election was before his birthday, because he's a he's a December birthday. Um, so it would have been four years. No, not four six. So he would have been forty three or something. I I really don't know. One of those ages. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I remember there was when he got first became um, prime minister, he actually defeated the conservative government, which had been in power since like 2000-ish, late 90s-ish, um, by a landslide. And I think something about his message just like resonated with people and encouraged people to strategically vote liberal because they were tired of the conservative government. And so with the 11th house ruling, like allies and friends, that feels loud to me. But also just how like him being, I guess, you know, a former prime minister's son, just how well connected he is. Mm. I guess how many like secret connections he has, but like that to me felt really loud, especially when he won re-elect, like won that election. Hmm. Especially because the moon is a sect light. Um, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, and then I have da, 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 Anderson Cooper. He has Ooh. his son uh, opposite Mars near the descendant at the second. Uh, and with Saturn ruling the fourth house, I think it's interesting that he was born into a very wealthy family. So he, through his mom's side, he's related to the Vanderbilts. And his dad was like a well-known, like, I don't want to say journalist, but like a writer type person, like a writing person. His dad was a well-known writer. Um, but the problem was early on in his life, he experienced a lot of loss and tragedy. So his dad died of heart failure during some surgery he had when he was very young. And then his brother committed suicide. And Anderson Cooper has made a huge effort to um uncover a lot of the suffering in the world 
mm-hmm. and um, give voice to that. And I feel like that comes through his um, his Saturn in this decade. Especially because it has a lot to do with his experience of, I guess, relationships with other people. Hmm. And then if we take Saturn as um, parents, I guess like just this closeness to his parents or the idea of his parents. Because I was reading his bio and he said, even though his father died when he was very young, the way he carries himself is very much influenced by what kind of person he thinks his father would be. Hmm. Um, and then I, I'm also thinking about the fact that um, Saturn rules his fifth house and he actually named his the kid he just had a year, I think last year, he named his kid after both of his parents. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah that's really interesting i i did want to quickly look at um so you know this as we talked about this is a double sun decan and we um and the sun's exaltation degrees over here um but i did I, so then i was just curious about examples of people who have saturn in aries here because saturn is in its fall in aries uh-huh. and um and so to be in this decan would be just like, oh, this is, you know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, cause like, I remember um, listening to Austin's workshop and the example he gave was Marilyn Manson as yeah. uh, someone who like, like literally like owned being the antichrist. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I just did like a quick look and I, this one's a very, like, I'm like a huge history nerd, but like one person who has their Saturn in Aries here is Cardinal Richelieu, who was this really, really powerful cardinal in a, like, a, like in the 1600s. And mm-hmm. he believed like very, very strongly in moral superiority. Like he was all about like the Catholic church. It's oh like the only way, like the complete opposite of just moral relativism, right? He was just like, no, this is the superior thing. And so he spent like a good chunk of his career really um, trying to oppress Protestants, especially wow. over in France. And he, the other really interesting thing about him is that he, um, he like read Machiavelli's The Prince and of course strongly, he did. Of course he did. And <laughs> was a very, very strong adherent to oh this book. God. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And he's actually, you know, for those who aren't as big of like history, but like nerds, but like read or watch the three musketeers, like he's basically the main villain in, in that. And so, but I think it really tracks because when I think about Saturn and Aries, I think a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's Saturn and it's fall, right? So I think it can be like that discipline and duty and drive um, in into overdrive and having more yeah. of those margin qualities of just extremes when it comes to discipline. And so I think he... Yeah, no. <laughs> I think it really... I really like that you brought that up because there's almost... With the place where the places where the sun has, I mean, sorry, Saturn has its uh, detriment and its uh, fall in fire signs, which I think is very telling because even though Saturn does have triplicity there, because Saturn does value um, <coughs> just pushing past boundaries that no longer um, work, but there's almost this sense of no return that Saturn can be useful for. It's like once you push, you can't go back, right? 
Um, but Saturn being fallen in Aries and then being in its detriment in Leo uh, makes a lot of sense because Saturn is almost like trying to embody the collective in some way. Whereas there's something more personal and somewhat egoic about the fire signs. Um, and I think that, you know, Saturn and Leo and um, Saturn and Aries try too hard to embody what they think are collective values when they're really just personal values mm. and they don't know how to draw that boundary. And so they might go to extreme lengths to, especially in this like middle decade of um, Aries, like really go to extreme lengths to embody that and project that onto the collective, even when that's not necessarily what's good for the collective. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. I have one more example for Aries too. It's actually Mercury. Mm-hmm. So this is Diana Ross again. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting about her origin story in um, the Supremes, which was the group that she was first in that kind of put her on this level, is that it was actually called the... Um, it was actually supposed to be the female counterpart to a male group before they were even called the Supremes. I, they were called the Primettes because the, the guys were the Primes and the girls were the Primettes. And so she wasn't even like one of the original members of this group. Like some girls who were dating guys who were in the Primes <clears throat> recruited their friends and then one of them recruited her, right? And then she ended up outshining and outlasting some of the people who were originally in the group that eventually became the Supremes, right? Um, I also think about her, the fact that Mercury rules her 11th and how apparently, even though she doesn't claim this, Motown basically says that she helped them discover the Jackson 5, which eventually led to Michael Jackson's career. Right. And then um, after her, like, I want to say almost decade of doing solos, like solo stuff outside of Motown, she actually came back to Motown to have like a successful like reunion with the Supremes and like other stuff. So it was almost like her giving back to the people who basically elevated her, so to speak. I love that. And since you keep bringing up Diana Ross, I have the plug. Like, if anyone ever visits Detroit, you have to go to the Motown Museum. It's it's the actual, like, house slash recording studio where the original Motown artists were recording out of. And so, I yeah, and so I totally, like, remember, like, going doing the tour and, like, hearing about, like, Diana <laughs> Ross's rise to fame. But, yeah, they, they, they still to this day will, like, credit her for like having helped found like the Jackson five, which eventually led to Michael Jackson's career. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all my examples. Cool. So let's move on then to Aries three. 
Aries Deccan three. So this Deccan, um, yeah, both both one are really excited about talking about this one because we both have natal placements here. This Deccan is um, Venus and Jupiter ruled, depending on the system that you use. And I have my natal Jupiter there, and Mo has Venus over there. But Austin calls this Deccan a rose of flame. And it's, it's, yeah, compared to the previous seconds we just talked about, like Aries 1 is Mars, Mars ruled, Aries 2, Sun, Sun ruled. This one's ruled by two benefics. And so a lot of the associations with this Deccan is still, it's still very Aries, right? It's still like getting what you want, getting from point A to point B, but doing it in this very benefic way, whether it's like Venusian ways, like just charming yourself into like getting what you want or, (laughs) um, or yeah, or yeah, it's still, there's still very much self-assertion in this, but in this that but it takes on this more Venusian Jupiterian quality. Yeah, um, this is a really fun decade because I I remember listening to uh, Austin's workshop from the last Norwak on the decans, and he described both this decade and what was it like Leo three. As having like big propagandist energy. Yes. <laughs> and I and, was like, oh my God, that's like my Mars in Leo and my Venus and Aries trying together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, same, same. I laughed at that, that too because my, my quote unquote day job is I, I'm a communications director for a labor union. So I literally have to come up with propaganda. <laughs> it's my job i'm actually gonna go like write a speech for our president after this podcast recording that's so funny like i don't so that's not my current job like my day job right now (laughs) definitely not um but i will say um when i was in college i definitely was i wouldn't say like literally propagandist but more so like advocating because there's also an advocating type of energy but like you kind of have to convince people or like evoke certain feelings or images in people to get them to act for um useful causes so something that i was big into when i was in student government was like advocating for racial justice on campus trying to be a good ally for trans people on campus um, and just calling out the administration on campus for just not handling student crises effectively. And so, yeah, just a lot of that stuff. I, um, I, yeah, I, I got a lot of my start in my current career today because of student activism over the exact same issues too. Like I went to, I went to UC San Diego and graduated in 2010 and it was in early 2010. So it was just like my last year of college where we made national news because one of our frats threw a racist theme party <gasps> called the Compton Cookout, which is Why? the inspiration. I know it's, it's it, it was actually the inspiration for the Dear White People movie. Oh my god. Okay, so I went to I went to women's college, Bryn Mawr. Um, so if anybody's listening and you went to school when I did, I graduated in 2017. You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I remember my I think it was my my second year 
and I was just appointed a president of the, there was this affinity group house where the two black student groups and the Hispanic group had this house called Perry house that they used to live in. It was an actual house with like, you know, a lot of space so that we could host our club events and our cultural events. But the university, like before I came, like the college wasn't upkeeping it and they weren't doing um, enough to actually um, make it livable for people. And there was a lot of conflict over that. But anyway, um, my second year, there was this incident over the Confederate flag. So two people decided to, in one of the dorms, decided to hang up a Confederate flag and they put tape on the floor saying like, oh, this is the Mason-Dixon line. And like, a lot of people just did not take it very well. And it's like, this literally happened the first week of school. Like we had all just gotten to school and I remember just sitting in all the residence council meetings and it's just like, okay, we want to do something and we keep talking to admin and they're just like, oh, it's fine. And then like, there was just this huge mishandling by the admin about like, oh, um, like it's handled, we got rid of it, but it's like, no, um, the students handled it because we had to go to a, um, Resco policy technicality saying that, you know, the dorm leadership has the right to take down decorations that are not in accordance with what they're trying to accomplish. Mm. The admin didn't do shit and they took credit for it. And then not only that, but the year before I came and the year I was a freshman, so this was before I was in student government, some people were having really bad hazing experiences with this tradition called, it used to be called Hell Week, now it's not. Um, and I know we got, we made Fox News because, like, of all this other shit. So, yeah. And then Fox News was all up in our ass because, like, later in my undergraduate career, um, this one girl got flamed for, like, trying to get people to Uber with her to a Trump rally um, because she didn't feel safe going by herself. And people were like... Not only that, but she was saying generally racist and bigoted things about, like, her roommates and stuff. And so it became this big deal. (laughs) And so that was the kind of shit I had to deal with on campus. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But yeah, Yeah. I, it's just, um, yeah, no, campuses are just, like, rife with this kind of stuff. Like, you know, like, it's, yeah. I, it, for me, like on my campus, it was just like no surprise too, because like we we were lo- a campus located in San Diego, and like only one percent of our student population was black, and only like about four percent of our student population was Latino in a city that's like well over fifty percent Latino. So, but anyway, mm-hmm. this is funny that here we are like talking about this decade. <laughs> <laughs> and still using it as an opportunity and a platform to talk about racism on college campuses. Yeah, it's <laughs> a problem. It is a problem. But yeah, so this Deccan, I don't know if um, you want to say anything more in terms of just like the imagery or the arc- like the architects oh, yeah, for this yeah. one before we jump into examples. Yeah, um, so this one has a lot of a wide range of imagery. Like it doesn't make sense at first. So um, Ibn Ezra calls this 
a yellow man whose hair is reddish and he is irascible and contentious. And in his hand are bracelets of wood and a wand and his clothes are red and he is a blacksmith and he desires to do good, but he cannot. Uh, the Picatrix says an inquiet man holding in his hands a gold bracelet and dressed in red clothes who desires to do good and is not able. And this face is one of subtlety and of subtle professions and of new things and instruments and the like. Um, Agrippa says a white man pale with reddish hair and clothed with a red garment who carrying on the one hand a golden bracelet and holding forth a wooden staff is restless and like one in wrath because he cannot perform the good he would. This image bestoweth wit, meekness, joy, and beauty. Um, and then I really like the Yavana Jonica's um, imagery just because it's like um, this person wears dark blue garments and has a dark blue body. They're armed with a club and are fierce. He, is blue, he has a blue garland of diadems. His body is exceedingly strong and his eyeballs are like a bull's eye and he is like the age of discord. So it's almost like there are these people who are well-decorated, um, usually in like luxury of some kind, but like there's almost this like intensity that they have, right? Um, and I really like the 36 secrets description for this because she calls it um, beauty weds the architect. Um, but like on the one hand, it's like, talking about the artistry that goes into this decan because like there are a lot of like creative or like artsy things that come out of this decan but um this is also a decan about the power of symbols and it's like sometimes like she talks a lot about how the depiction of the four of um wands which is the uh minor associated with this decan is all about you know the wedding but it's like the wedding is different than the marriage, right? You're coming together and um, uniting. And there's something symbolic about having um, this celebration for a union, but it's not necessarily indicative of the marriage, right? And like the actual work that goes into it. However, the symbol can be just as powerful as the actual thing. And when she was describing that, um, especially because the majors associated with it are literally the empress and the emperor. So it's like literally, like when you put the three cards together, the imagery is so complete, like they complete each other. And there's this element of the Venusian aspect, especially that's trying to soften the martial aspect of it. Um, and it's almost like, there's something useful in using symbols and art and certain gestures to honor certain struggles or um, certain bonds that are forged under struggle, but, and they can be used in strategic ways and they can be used as a form of warfare because they provide morale for like, okay, this is the reason why we do this. But there's this like power struggle between the concept of love and the concept of war. And so yes, the person who has like a lot of good things to say wants to, but maybe it's not enough sometimes. And so they have to use their, use certain symbolism to boost the morale because they're not able to do it themselves. Or um, maybe it's just this eternal struggle between like, 
uniting with people for sustained periods of time or um, constantly being in struggle with other people. There's yeah. like this intensity there that's just, that's just not fully there, but it can offer like a temporary refuge from difficult things, right? <laughs> yeah, I I think it's really interesting. Well, first of all, you, you, you know, you're right on the, the, there's a lot of creativity associated with this deck in. I have really good chart examples for that, but I think it's really interesting that a lot of the imagery described are I think almost all of them had people wearing jewelry, um, mostly bracelets, but even crowns. And so I mm-hmm. think even about the process, right, of creating something beautiful can often still be very Martian, right? Like this is still, I mean, it's a Venus Jupiter yeah. duck in, but it's still in Mars's sign. And I think of even just the process of making jewelry um, and metalwork is very much just like a lot of like fire and, um, sometimes brimstone even and just like the working and just like because it, it takes a lot right to like really forge and like work metal i think it's really interesting that i mean the other deck oh, the only other deck and i could think that has just has similar connotations is i think it's virgo deck in two yeah. And this is also a decan where, you know, Venus is in its detriment in Aries and then Venus is in its fall in Virgo. And so uh-huh. I think it's, um, yeah, th- these are both signs that Venus traditionally struggles in. But I think at the same time, in order to have beauty and creativity and love, even there's just so much struggle and challenge that inevitably comes with it. Yeah, no, I really like that you brought that up because I noticed that Venus has decans in all three signs that she's challenged in. And it's almost as if, um, uh, it's like there's this element of being able to find beauty in a struggle or in situations where it's hard to. And that really speaks to a hidden talent that Venus has. I mean, the only difference with Venus in Aries is that she has no triplicity in this sign whatsoever, and she does in the other two signs. So there's less um, a, there's less obvious support or co-signment of whatever Venus is trying to accomplish in Aries, but she makes do with what she has anyway and uses her talents and charms for the act of war or like you know motivating people it's like okay we fought this hard this is why we do this let's celebrate now because like there are challenges on the horizon obviously and then like with the jupiter piece it's like jupiter has triplicity in aries so it's like from the jupiter side of things there's like more of an active co-signment of trying to unify people and create like a narrative or message that keeps people on board mm. with the mission, right? Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I have a lot to say on that last point because I yeah, I like like we said earlier, I have my Jupiter here and it the one of the big things I've been working on at work right now. So I work for a labor union, I do their communications. I've been there eight years. And, you know, when I started working at this organization, like they just didn't have any kind of communications infrastructure at all. Like the website um, looked like it was built in 2000 and it hadn't been updated since oh, 2011. No. And I had started in 2013. <laughs> they didn't really like, they had very inactive social media accounts. Like they just 
they didn't have a lot of just even that infrastructure. And so I felt like my first several years working for this organization is building that. And like, but my project over the past like few months actually has been finally being able to take a step back and looking at just kind of our broader messaging, like what is our vision? What is our mission? Yeah, a lot of what I've noticed, for example, with our union is we've done a really good job branding ourselves as um, a really like powerful union that's always out there in the streets like fighting. And I, I even like did a like a poll with our staff, I asked, what are three words you would use to describe our union? And sure enough, it was those two words, like powerful and fighting were coming up. But oh, wow. what was really fascinating to me, the thing that I caught that I'm now like really kind of pushing on. And so that, that now I'm just like laughing, just thinking about this Deccan is that I've noticed that all of us use the words like loving or caring or supportive. Um, but we weren't as consistent with the right word to use in the same way we were constantly using the words powerful and fighting. And so now my whole thing over like the next year plus, I think it's just going to be really like pushing just like us using the right words and using consistent words, like all that stuff. But yeah, it totally tracks with the propaganda. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I, I, I do wonder because I realized that like both the ruler of your eighth house and the ruler of my eighth house are technically in this deck in. And I wonder, like, if you found that elements of, like, getting people to either donate or receiving money yourself, like, have come up for you in doing that. Yeah, I mean, my job right before this was fundraising for nonprofits, <laughs> so <laughs> very literal. <laughs> but even, yeah, currently with my current job as a la- working for a labor union, it's a lot more... <laughs> um, lot more margin in some ways where the work I have to do now is like it's demanding that corporations like pay workers more no that's 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 amazing I I mean the way this has played out for me because Venus is actually in my second house so like in order to go to college I actually got a scholarship from um, a certain foundation that basically is operative in a few different cities but the year that I was applying to college, they were just starting in my city. And um, basically, I was taking a chance on them. They were taking a chance on me and the other like 30 students. They gave scholarships to go to these great colleges. And basically, the whole premise is that you get put in a group of at least 10 and you get sent to a school that's usually far away from where you're from. And you're supposed to act as like a support group, but also like you know, use your leadership skills and like develop the leadership skills of the people in your group and like influence change on campus and like, but also not just campus, but like beyond. So like, I'm technically a part of this like large alum network of people who have these scholarships and they have like this elaborate mission to like, not only champion diversity, but like um, all this other stuff. So yeah, I quite literally got a scholarship for that. <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> so and it's even better because it's Trine Mars, which is like the ruler of my second house and my ninth house, which is like studying and shit. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. so your Venus then rules not just your eighth, but also your third, right? Am I like remembering your chart correctly? Yeah, yeah. So there are elements of, like, forming community, but also, like, another way that shows up for me is, like, 
me showing up for my sibling financially, which I'm very happy to do. Like, I don't mind doing it. And if anything, it's funny because my sister has her Mars in this decan. And it's in her fourth whole sign house, ruling her midheaven and 11th house in Scorpio. And so one way I show up for my sister is that she has a lot of different, like, you know, creative things she likes to do for her, what she hopes will be her career, but also like just her goals. And I try to like, because her Venus, no, my Venus is conjunct her Mars, even though it's a bit wide, like mm. there's this yeah. element of like trying to hype her up almost. Hmm. I like that. I, yeah. I don't know how, if you could like relate to this um, with just having like a planet, a benefic in this Deccan, but for me, so my, my Jupiter is in my 12th house in this Deccan and 12th house Jupiter in general can often get associated with luck. And I very much like it's it, it, because it's in my 12th house, I guess I, I never really thought of myself as a lucky person, but I remember having a very recent conversation with someone about how I just asked them, I was like, what um when was a time that you won something and this guy was like I've never won anything in my life I'm like 30 years old 38 years old I've never won anything and I was like really and like I had several examples <laughs> but I will say though like like a lot of just like my quote-unquote luck I think comes from I mean it's still very Aries like it's still very much I have to like take that initiative and like, th like things don't just happen to me usually it's just like me taking that first step and it just like kind of like falls into place like um like 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 I, I a lot of times people believe you, you know Jupiter represents opportunities too and so for me a big motto in my life is like the closed mouth doesn't get fed it's like yes just gotta gotta I ask <laughs> I am always saying that shit always <laughs> literally like <laughs> Oh my god, no. I also feel like that's also my Leo Mars. Like, uh, yeah. Literally do not get fed. And it's like, if you want something, like, go for it. Like, it's not like, and the thing is, like, I kind of relate to the whole luck thing because, like, I, I see the third house of social media, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, I started my astro business. I actually started it, I want to say I was in my 12th house perfection year. So my third house would be meeting its Lord in the second. And I literally started my account and I was like, I want to do astrology. I just decided I wanted to do it and I just did it. Um, and here we are like three-ish years later, like just... But it wasn't something that I expected to like take off right away either. I just was consistently doing it and just trying new things and like, you know, because there was the eighth house element of it, like I was throwing a little money here and there to like get astrology resources so I could learn and just trying, you know, just trying, even if it's like, okay, this is a hobby that's like costing me money right now. But like, it's slowly evolved into something that helps pay the bills. So <laughs> I love that, and yeah, I, yeah. I I totally can relate to just the consistency of things too, as well as just like the initiative. Like, 
I, I, I had a very similar, I, I pretty much think I, I, that's exactly how I would describe even just me thinking about like doing like, go, like I'm going to do astrology. It was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And it was, you know, taught myself, read books, like listen to the astrology podcast, like listened and just like trying to took it, take in every possible thing I could. And then, you know, here we are again, it's a few years later and it's like, oh, I, I can do readings now. I can actually like <laughs> make money from this and do a podcast on this and it was actually this revel. I had this revelation about two months ago where I realized like, wait, if I could do this with astrology, I can do this with like a lot of other things. And so that's why even just like with my, with my current job and communication stuff, I didn't go to school to study communications, nor do I want to go back to school and like study it. But I was like, there, there, there's podcasts out there, there's books. And like, I've just been reading and just like nonstop. And that's why I closed my readings. So I could really just like hyper-focus on work stuff. But yeah no no. that that makes total sense like I think I'm having a similar revelation for my life as a grad student because it's like I'm basically managing myself and like trying to create content and like doing all this stuff and it's like if I can do this while like to keep in mind my day job was being a lab tech and the hours were crazy and I was still finding time to do astrology And like, I'm a grad student in, you know, the sciences doing something neuroscience related. So not even astrology related at all, not interacting with people for now at all. (laughs) And it's just like, there's this huge um, enterprising, like project management energy that goes into it. And I, I think like, I'm starting to realize if I could do this with my astro business, and if I could like find a way to do this in a more structured manner for grad school I could also accomplish a lot with whatever I plan to do career-wise yeah awesome we want to jump into our um celebrity chart examples (coughs) yeah I have I have a few yeah you start and then I can jump in Okay, so Anderson Cooper again, he has his moon in this decade in the seventh house. And I think it's very telling that the moon rules his midheaven. And he's literally a journalist. Like, his whole thing is um, sharing other people's stories. But I feel like the moon element really comes through because if you know anything about Anderson Cooper, his approach to journalism is really passionate and thoughtful. Mm. And I think... I was reading his bio and a lot of what put him on the map for that and like inspired, I guess, sort of this new brand of journalism. This was like in the mid 2000s. This was like after Katrina had happened and all this other stuff was happening. And he's really impassioned when talking about things that happened to people. Um, And I guess his approach to journalism is just way more human centered because I don't know if anybody knows about the CNN Heroes series. I don't know if it's still on, but it was on for a while. He actually started that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. You know, I'm actually thinking, I think my, one of my aunts was on that at one point. And what's funny is that she has an Aries Venus in this decade. (laughs) Like, I shit you not. I think she was on a version of that because she... She's really into her, like, athleticism and stuff, and Venus is in her sixth house. Wow. So it's, like, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like, he's just really just trying to get people more aware of um, 
not just like the challenges that go on in the world, but like how people respond to them and just kind of like highlighting why it's important to care, but also like just the strength and resilience of like the human experience and like all the ranges of what that can encompass. Like that really shows in his approach to covering stories. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and then I have Al Pacino. <laughs> who has Jupiter ruling the fifth whole side house conjunct the midheaven in this decade. And what struck me about his bio was that very early on in his acting career, uh, he performed for an Italian audience, which is really significant because his parents are both like Italian immigrants. And it was really inspiring and captivating for him. Uh, he was also someone who is known for playing more, um, more challenging characters who are trying to be softened by like emotional experiences like that really shows in his acting work and it's why he wins a lot of and he wins awards for playing those types of roles hmm. um also early on in his career he was actually pretty active on broadway and like just in theater hmm. before he was even on the screen and um he became like a huge patron of acting and the arts and there was some like theater project that he was really invested in and like a bunch of other well-known actors and other donors were inspired to donate as well um so yeah like this guy was all about like the arts and bringing theater to people and it's just it's just really shown because he's like a well-decorated actor as hmm. well wow yeah uh those are good examples. Um, you said he had he has Jupiter in that deck in? Uh-huh, Jupiter, Jupiter. Okay, cool. I have I have a couple of good like examples for people who have Jupiter or Venus in that deck in. Um, I first I'll, I'll start with Jupiter and um, so the author Thomas Moore has his Jupiter in that, and he's known he's most well known for writing the book Utopia. And so mm -hmm. Utopia, um, to this day, we still use that term now to talk <laughs> about like paradise or like a better world yeah. out there. And so he wrote Utopia um, as a way to be able to depict the ideal society, but particularly the ideal political system using like this island allegory or metaphor. And mm -hmm. so I think that completely tracks for someone who has Jupiter in this deck like third decan of aries in the fifth house to ruling his first house sag <laughs> so yeah. um very much being able to like um again with the propaganda stuff right of being able to just like really talk about like his ideals and values um you know through <laughs> um through yeah a creative project or book that's still to this day like you know we learn about in school so that was one example that I saw. And um, another good example I have for Venus in this Deccan is the artist Michelangelo. So Michel <laughs> yeah. yes, Michelangelo has a really fascinating like AA rated chart, by the way. So anyone who I was our history majors, so I really like like really nerd out on this stuff. But his Venus is also um, his Venus is in the fifth house. 
um, in oh, this wow. third decan of Aries, ruling um, his sixth house and his eleventh house. And Michelangelo obviously is known for being like a really excellent painter and just a Renaissance man in general, and a sculptor too. Like he's known for painting the Sistine Chapel, and he's known for sculpting David as well as all these other like really really amazing um, sculptures and paintings. And but one thing he was like really known for was his work ethic. Like he yeah he um and he was able to accomplish like a lot of this stuff at an early age like i believe he sculpted his like first major work which is a statue called the pieta age 21 is what i remember off the top of my head i think he did david by the time he was 27 and then i believe he finished the sistine chapel when he was like maybe like 31 or like in his early you know like i think it's interesting that venus rules his sixth house because like I know that part of the reason he got so good at painting the human form, especially especially in such like a transcendent way, is that unlike other um, artists, he actually like I think there was a time he spent like actually studying like human cadavers mm-hmm. and like their bodily features. I the only reason I remember this is because like <clears throat> I want to say like back in twenty twelve, like nine, almost nine years ago, I went to. Uh, I went to Europe with my mom and we spent a lot of time in Rome and like a lot of the tourists, the tour guides were talking about um, just his method, especially by the time we got to Florence to see David. They were talking about his method when it came to um, trying to depict the human form in the most accurate way possible. And there was something that was almost like just because of the religious connotation what was ironic was that i remember there were all these like catholic rules about burying bodies and like honoring bodies and like studying cadavers is not doing that but like ironically he was commissioned by the church to do all this art (laughs) i thought that was really (laughs) funny yes um that is definitely something that like he was one of the first artists that really is kind of started studying cadavers which is very very taboo and it remained taboo for like a a few hundred years in europe because of the catholic church and yet so many of the yeah his main patron was the catholic church and so (laughs) a lot of like i'm sure a lot of just the art on the sistine chapel (laughs) as well as like other projects that he did in the vatican um yeah, a lot of the human forms that he was looking at were actually cadavers. And um, yeah. yeah, I mean, to like those six, I think that's an excellent like point about the sixth house like significations. I think the other thing too, just like on his like work ethic. So it took him four years to make, to paint the Sistine Chapel. And for, you know, those who've never been to this building, I mean, Google it, but it's it's paintings all up and down the walls as well it's as the stunning. ceiling. stunning. I've seen it in person. It's, it's so beautiful. Stunning. So that ceiling um, is what he did first, and it took him like over four years to paint. And just like imagine how freaking difficult and like literally neck breaking it must be to paint a ceiling because <laughs> yeah, it's one did thing it, to have a almost go blind painting it because like yes. of how the paint would fall in his eyes and shit. Yep. Yeah, no, it was not fun work, but that was just kind of what he was known for is he would still drive through these projects at like relatively remarkable speed. Like four years is still pretty impressive for a whole ass ceiling. (laughs) 
Yeah, not only that, but like what's ironic is that because of the beauty of his art, it's almost like what people have to understand about the Catholic Church is that like literally the Vatican is designed to be a piece of art so that you're breathtaken by its awe. It's a form of propaganda in itself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know? So he wasn't the only artist they ever commissioned, but like, yeah, he was one of the best they commissioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely like one of the most well-known, if not the most. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are my two examples of this Venus and uh, Jupiter. I did have one more for someone who has Sun and Mercury. Okay, that. yeah, you go. Okay, so Ashley Judd has um, her Sun and Mercury in the ninth house in this decan. And I think the thing I, in particular that I wanted to focus on is she... The, the, the thing that she was on the news most recently for was when she named Harvey Weinstein as the pseudo-mogule who sexually assaulted her. She had oh mentioned in the past before that she had been sexually assaulted by someone really big in Hollywood, but wow. it was in around, I believe it's 2017, where she named him. And obviously that just sparked all these other women coming forward. And then the Me Too movement happened. She ended up, she was one of the many people who got named person of the year um, by Time Magazine because of that. And and yeah, Harvey Weinstein's been found guilty since then. And so, but I do think it's really interesting that she has Sun and Mercury in that ninth house. Um, in her ninth house, in that decade in particular, that means it rules her Leo rising for one. It's the sun, um, it's the sun and its joy in the ninth house. And so, yeah. um, and and she was in a Mercury ruled year when she finally named him. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> wild because, especially to the part about like exposing people. So, uh, uh, Al Gore, he has his uh, Lot of Fortune and uh, Midheaven conjunct in this decade. And Part of the time when he was going through that spiritual crisis, like after coming back from Vietnam, trying to figure out what he was going to do, and when he was doing his investigative journalism, he actually helped uncover some fraud that was going on in like some Tennessee political circles Wow! during that time. And I guess he used his position in journalism to expose that and help these people get convicted. That's great. Yeah, I know with Ashley Judd, and look, like, obviously, it's really, really hard for, like, survivors um, to come forward, and so it it clearly took her quite some time. It was many, many years afterward, and even when she first started even coming out with the assault, she didn't name him at first, but it's really fascinating to me that the moment she named him, it worked out, and oftentimes, unfortunately, it doesn't work out for victims of sexual assault like people often go unbelieved and not to say that Ashley Judd wasn't without her critics but it did work out for her and so many other women and just the world in general um once she actually really did like speak that truth yeah yeah I mean the only other example I have is Tyra Banks who actually also has quite a few planets in Aries um but she has her Mars ruling the midheaven in this decade, but also the fifth house. And I'm just thinking about how she, um, a lot of what she was known for, especially in her television career was like being controversial, especially with some of her, um, modeling topics or like the things she would have the models act out. And I just find that very characteristic 
and symbolic of her, especially with that Mars opposing Uranus, like, very tightly. Wow. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I just pulled up her chart now just to, like, look at it myself. Rule, yeah, that Mars also rules her fifth house. Wow. From her tenth. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the fact that she has the moon in the first, like, I'm just thinking about how, like, she used to be, like, one of the, like, main, um, the main faces for, like, black models in the industry. <laughs> and how she was known for that. But, like, I'm also thinking about how, like, a lot of her career, like, I remember because she was one of the um, main faces of black models in the, like, high fashion industry, aside from Naomi Campbell, like, I know that, like, their whole rivalry was, like, really important in defining both of their careers for a time, especially because, like, for a while, like, people were trying to characterize Naomi Campbell as, like, the mean girl and Tyra as, like, the girl next door. Yes. But I remember there was, a, I think it was, like, a year or two ago where people were like, no, it's actually Tyra who was the mean girl. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I'm like now just I, I, I want to like look at her chart some more later when I have more time because that is like really, like really interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, you know it, it's I, I, yeah I, I do want to dive more into her chart of just thinking about like yeah why you know for the longest time up until I guess recently she really did get to like come off as that like girl next door role. Another thing too about Tyra is like she does have a lot of controversy around her, but like, and, but it has to do like all with work. I actually really don't know anything about her private life. Like, I don't even yeah. know she's a partner right now or kids. Yeah, literally everything was tied to like her, her like public life. It, it was always like she's beefing with somebody or like she has like these controversial like modeling challenges for the people on America's Next Top Model. And, like, I think it's interesting how, like, she, like, at least going to the competitive edge of Mars in the 10th house, like, the fact that she was hosting a whole show for, like, a good 20 seasons about competing to be the most beautiful, and that captivated American audiences for those seasons is pretty, like, loud to me. Yes, that is so freaking loud. That's a good example. I, I I have no more examples to talk about. Um, anything else you want to say about Aries 3 or just this second series? No, I feel like we're ending on a pretty good note. <laughs> I think so, too. This was great. Um, this makes me look forward to Aries season more and wants me to just get through this week already through some of these hard transits. So, yeah. 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 It'll get better once Mercury is finally in Aries and can dry out a bit. <laughs> I am so glad Mercury's moving fast because, yeah, it's already like April 3rd. We'll have Mercury in Aries. I do think that's going to Oh be my better. god, that's like in, what, not 10 days, but a little more than 10 days. Like, like 11 no, days or something. Yeah, yeah, it's just like about, yeah, yeah. So it's, we, we're, we're not that far along. Which is crazy to think about. We just have to get through it. <laughs> yeah, we just have to get through it. All right, well, yeah. good luck in getting through it. I hope things get better for you and for anyone else who's listening. 
Me too. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye, Mo. Bye.